welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. My name is Pastor Jim. That was my son, Josiah. And uh, we are just excited to have you guys in person. And as you guys got to worship with us, that's the difference of online church and in-person church right there. You, I mean, that is just powerful stuff. And anyone with us for the very first time, just out of curiosity, we're, we're not going to have you like do a dance or anything, but just let me know. Just go, yeah, well, welcome you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. And a part of our amazing amphitheater service. And I don't know. I think COVID for us has been a blessing because it allowed us to go outdoors and typically we're in the ballroom, uh, but then this place became available because all the weddings got postponed. And so everybody else's bummer became our blessing. <laughs> you know, that's a word for somebody. Look for the blessing and the bummer. All right. How many need to hear that this morning? Look for the blessing and the bummer. Well, hey, we are in a series, as you saw from that video, and it's a Bible study that we're doing in the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your Bible app out, you can go to Nehemiah chapter three is where we're going to be this morning. And we've already covered a couple chapters and we're looking at this book and it's the chronicles of, of this man that had a passion to see his hometown come together and be rebuilt and restored. Like everything was in shambles, the walls were down, the gates were burned, he's bummed out, he's overwhelmed, he, he starts talking to God about it, God downloads a plan to him and says, this is how you're going to be used by me to restore and rebuild this city, which then helped restore and rebuild a nation. I think there's so much prophetic power in the book of Nehemiah to 2020 because I know I'm not the only one that is feeling a little overwhelmed with some of the messes that are out there right now. You watch the news for five minutes and it's like you just you can feel just any kind of just joy or happiness being sucked right out of you. You got election turmoil, injustice issues, violence in the streets. Our hometown of Bakersfield, I found out that uh, my, my father-in-law, who's the pastor there at a large church, he was saying that four teenage girls this week have been abducted and nobody has a clue where they're at. So there's like human trafficking going on within the town of Bakersfield and other places. And it's like, when is the craziness going to end. In a way, I kind of feel like Nehemiah. We're living in a time where the walls are down and the gates have been burned and there's chaos and it's overwhelming everywhere we look. But I believe the story of Nehemiah is a blueprint on how to live a better life. How many of you are ready to live a better life? Turn to somebody right now and say, I'm ready to live a better life. Tell them, declare it. Let, let that be something that you feel in your soul that you're ready to live a better life. And in chapter three, what we're gonna be looking at this morning is 
Now you've, you've had the passion, you've had the plan, and now you're going to see it involves people. Because whenever God is doing a good work, it's going to involve people because people are his most prized possession. The people on this earth, the people that have been created in his image is what he loves the most. So I'm going to pray and we're going to get into this Bible study this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so, so much for the work that you're doing through Atmosphere Church. God, for the lives that are being changed, for the people that are being healed, for the families that are being restored. And God, we want some more of that today. God, my prayer this morning, Lord, is that we know your presence is all, always with us and already with us, God, but I'm praying a double portion, a double scoop of your presence this morning. God, there are some people that are very discouraged today, that are feeling very overwhelmed today. God, I pray when they leave this place, they will know they've been touched by heaven and leave this place full of love, full of peace, full of life and hope. And we thank you in advance for how you're going to do that. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Now, if you are familiar with the book of Nehemiah and you've already pre-read chapter three, you're going, really? He's going to read chapter three in our Bible study today? And no, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going to do like this brief overview. We're going to land on a couple of verses, but we're not going to read the whole thing because if you know chapter three, it reads like a donor list of everybody that's contributed to the rebuilding of the walls. And so it, there's some hard names to read, some Hebrew names that, that nobody uses anymore that are really difficult to pronounce. And, and, but if you look at this as a whole, I don't know how many of you frequent Disneyland, None of us right now, but uh, I, when, when the park is open, if you go into the gates between Disneyland and Disneyland California, there are these stones that are throughout the middle area. And if you look closely, there are names on those stones. There, there are donors, and I don't know what they gave or what they donated, but their names are on these stones to commemorate and to honor what they've done to help Disneyland. And so Nehemiah chapter three is to honor and to pay tribute to the legacy of these people that actually rolled up their sleeves, answered the call of God, and helped rebuild and restore their city. And I love this because when you look at the whole project as a whole, and I have a, I have a diagram I found uh, by Googling the, the walls surrounding and the gates surrounding Jerusalem, and I'll post this later because it's hard for you guys, I'm assuming, to read this. But I love this diagram because it breaks down the names of all the people that had a part of the wall. And so when you read Nehemiah 3, it's like counterclockwise. And he goes through and he goes all the way around the wall and he names everybody that was a part of rebuilding the wall. Because you, you got to think in, in terms of this. In chapters 1 and 2, we read about how overwhelmed everybody was that there were no walls or gates and it was in shambles and then in chapter three everyone kind of comes together and does a little bit of the work but for 70 years from the time that they came back home from being in exile to the time that Nehemiah is showing up saying everyone get your tool belts on we're going to rebuild this wall there's like 70 years so 70 years they were just like looking at the broken down walls and the burned up gates and they're just saying remember when these things used to be together remember when life was normal and they just stared at it how many of you have ever had a project that was so big in scale 
that you always convince yourself you'll start it tomorrow. <laughs> How many of you have a garage like that? You're just like, okay, I'm going to clean the garage. You go out there and you're just like, we're going to do that tomorrow. We're going to start on that tomorrow. Uh, it's just too much for me right now to handle this. I remember when Tara and I moved here, where our, our family moved here last year when we planted the church. Our church is two years old, but we were commuting back and forth from Bakersfield. But last year we moved here full time. And we had to move out of two houses. We had a house in Vegas that we were leaving, and then we had this house in, in Bakersfield that we're staying at that we were leaving. So two houses that we were moving out of, and forever, like, we had been out of this house in Vegas for like three years, but we thought we were going to be moving back there full time. So we just sat there, and every time I went over there to, to do my weekend thing over there, I was like, I'll do it next time I'm here. And that progressed for three years, and finally, we're like, we got to move out of here. And so Tara and I were there. It was like in the middle of summertime. And by the way, if you're thinking about moving, it's always a bummer to have to move, but especially in the summertime in Vegas, all right? So we're sitting there. It's hot. It's 115 outside. We're like, we got to do this. And so we go into the garage. We're like, okay, we're going to start here. And then we make the mistake. We open one of the boxes in the garage, and it's full of photos. So three hours later... We're going, oh, remember this? Oh, yeah. I was like, we got to get to work. So we made a game plan. Okay, you hit the kitchen, I'll hit the bedroom, and then we'll kind of like meet in the middle. And, and when we took the project in bite-sized pieces, it became a lot more uh, easy to think about and, and to take care of. Because that, that's kind of how we feel about 2020 right now. If you look at it as a whole, it's overwhelming. But, but what if we kind of scale it down into a bite-sized view and say, I know I can't do everything, but I can do something. I, I, I almost entitled the message. I know I can't do everything, but I can do something. But that's a really long title. So we're, we're calling this morning's talk, Start Where You Live. Because starting where we live, to make a difference where we live, is where we can actually start making a difference. Now, I'm going to kind of summarize chapter 3. I'm going to highlight a couple of verses, and then we're going to talk about where we're going with these verses. But verse 1, chapter 3, it says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate, and they consecrated it, hung, hung its doors. They consecrated the wall, the Tower of the Hundred, and the Tower of Hananel. So here, in this first verse, we read that the process begins, the rebuilding begins. But check this out. It was the lead pastor and his staff that started the project. The pastor started it. He rolled up his sleeves, and he said, I'm going to show you guys by example. This is how you get the work done. I love that the chapter begins with the pastor and the staff doing it because I was raised up in ministry that you get things done by being the example and inspiring other people to live the way you're living. Because, you know, I could learn the Bible and I could be very smart and scholarly and, and be able to teach you things, but if I'm not living this out and being an example for you, it's not real inspirational. Like, if we're going to lead people well, we have to lead. Leaders lead, and this is what's happening. They're beginning the process. Say, hey, do as we do. Don't just, you know, listen to what we're saying. You know, do as we're doing. This goes for dads out there, husbands. Lead your families by being the example of not just telling your family what you want them to do, 
Let them see you doing it. Let them catch you doing something good to inspire them to do that goodness as well. Moms, do good so your family can catch you doing this good and they can be inspired to actually go out there and do as you're doing. So I I love that. And let's jump down to verse 23 because this is where we're going with the talk this morning. Next to them, Benjamin and Hasub made repairs in front of their own house. Next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his own house. Five times in Nehemiah chapter 3, we're reading about these builders that are specifically rebuilding the walls in front of where they live. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28 29 and 30. Above the horse gate, the priest carried out repairs, each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emer, carried out repairs in front of his house. After him, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. So you see a theme over and over again saying, where, where do we start? I mean, this is overwhelming. We don't know where to begin. Hey, how about we just start where we live. I love the Life Application Bible, the study note for these verses. And if you don't have a good study Bible, I highly recommend the Life Application Study Bible. It'll just, it will help your personal Bible study time. Just trust me on it. I've been uh, an owner of one for many years and, and I can't recommend it enough. But it has these little notes sometimes under the verses So it gives you a little backstory, a little bit more understanding or ways to apply it to your life. That's the name Life Application Study Bible. It says, if each person was responsible for the part of the wall closest to his own house, number one, he would be more motivated to build it quickly, properly. Why? Because he has to look at it every day. Number two, he wouldn't waste time traveling to more distant parts of the wall and waste time going back and forth. He's just right there. Number three, he would defend his own home if the wall were attacked. So he's going to be a protector of that. And number four, he would be able to make the building a family effort. He can get everybody involved in the project. Here's what I, I want you to know about rebuilding and restoring lives. This is important business to God. Like he loves it that you are rebuilding and and your life is being restored. He loves that. But he wants you to be a good infection so that you can tell other people about him and what he's done for your life so that their life may be rebuilt and restored. He's into rebuilding and restoring lives. And here's the truth. Ministry is everywhere. You could do this everywhere. You could do this at Target after you go home today, you could do this at the gas pump at Chevron. You could do this where you work. You could do this uh, certainly where you live. I mean, ministries everywhere. You could go overseas and do ministry like we do in, in, in Zambia, Africa. But here's the most effective ministry. Get this down. Lean into this. The most effective ministry is going to be done right where you live with the people that God has put right in front of you. There's people that you cross paths with, that you go to school with, that you work with, that you live next to, that God has placed you in those people's lives, I believe, on purpose. They're not in your life by accident. 
One of our young adults was talking to me last week and he was just sharing with me how God has been really convicting him about sharing his faith more and being more bold with his witness and, and talking to people more about Jesus and more about his faith. And he says he was praying for God to give him these big assignments. And then as he was praying this, God began convicting him about the people that are already in his life. And he started thinking about these friends that are in his life. And, and he started to get convicted. He started thinking, man, I, I, I've, I've like so wanted to minister to all of these other people that I've neglected to look at the people that are actually literally right in front of me. And so he pivoted and he said, God, I'm going to start ministering by ministering to the people that you've already placed in my life. Because I believe those people have been placed in your life on purpose because God wants to use you as a conduit, as his tool belt to help rebuild and to restore. Now, this principle is from Jesus himself. He does this big deliverance on a guy that was demon-possessed. His life was a mess. He was hanging out in, in cemeteries and talking to himself, beating people up. And Jesus has an encounter with him and sets him free from all of that demonized stuff that was in his life. In verse 18, chapter five of the gospel of Mark, it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, this guy was set free. The man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him go, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, would this man have been an effective ministry as Jesus went to different towns? Absolutely. God would have used him. He would have used him in, in these spaces. But check this out. Jesus said the most effective place that you're going to be used to help rebuild and restore lives is with the very people that are used to you with your crazy corona hair and, and screaming and, and walking around cemeteries. And they're going to see you all groomed nice and smelling good and not yelling at people and, and really normal. And they're going to say, what happened to you? And then you're going to be able to say, yes, Jesus had made the biggest difference in my life. And let me tell you about him. Jesus said, that's the most effective place for you to do ministry. You start where you live. Turn to somebody sitting next to you and say, start where you live. Start where you live. Turn to the next person around you and say, start where you live. Here, here's what I want to tell you guys. That everyone you meet, everyone you meet, has a hurt in their life. It could be relationship hurt. It could be an emotional hurt. But they all have a hurt. Sometimes they talk about the hurt. Sometimes they bury the hurt and they don't talk about it. But everyone, I guarantee you, has a hurt. And God will use you as his conduit of heaven to help bring healing to the hurt. Here's the other thing you need to know. Everyone that you meet gets discouraged sometimes. How many of you woke up maybe or had a situation this week where you, even though you're a follower of Jesus, you got a little discouraged this week? Just raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand. I got a little discouraged this week. It happens. It pops into our life. You know, it kind of comes in, comes out. And it just, like, sometimes it just happens. But here's the bottom line is that when you start thinking about, okay, everyone has a hurt. Everyone gets discouraged. Therefore, everyone needs a touch of heaven. And God wants to rebuild and restore lives through me. And how does he do this most effectively? And here it is. It's through you loving them. Love. 
It's living the love, as we like to say at Atmosphere Church. We live the love. Now, I know love can mean so many different things to different people. We've done series about love to really kind of help define love from a biblical lens and, and what God means when he says, I want you to love people. But for review, let's just take on some scripture and, and let's review these scriptures and see how important this is to God and how effective it is for us in how we minister and rebuild and restore lives that God has strategically placed around our lives. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. One of the scribes came to Jesus, and he heard them arguing and recognizing that Jesus had answered them well, asked him what commandment is the foremost of all, and Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 10 goes on to talk about what a neighbor is. And and we find out it's it's more not who is my neighbor, but who we could be neighborly towards. But Jesus is circling this very rich Jewish commandment, the great Shema. And he says, this is something every Israelite knows, every Israelite memorizes, but not every Israelite does. But this is big business when it comes to God. He commanded it. And then Jesus repeated it. And then Paul and James, New Testament writers, they endorse it. Romans 13 verses 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. If you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you love your neighbor generally, you're not going to do all that other stuff. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians 5.14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. James chapter 2 verse 8. If, uh, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Say, I didn't know that was called the royal law. There it is in the book of James. It's the royal law because, hey, it's the king of all commandments, and it's also given to us by the king of kings and lord of lords. It is the royal law and the great commandment. So what we need to take away from this is that ministry and rebuilding and restoring lives is not complicated. There are some of you that are terrible overthinkers. You overthink everything. And I like to say this, kiss, keep it simple, saint. (laughs) It is. Just keep it simple. What we're reading in the Bible is that to fulfill God's purpose and God's promise in other people and to help rebuild and, and, and restore people's lives, it's simple. It is loving them well. And I hear this so much from people. And people get so, like, they, they, want, they want to go deeper. And I get that. And there's so much to the Bible that we all need to learn more about. And, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that. And I think we need to learn the word more and more. But the way we get deeper is that we love better. Because when we're loving people the way God has commanded us to love people, 
we are taking care of everything else that God is expecting for us to do. And we ultimately love people the best when we're loving God the best. And as we love God, we will start loving other people. So you don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to have a master's of divinity. You just, you just have to say, God, you said it. Now I'm going to do it. I like Mark Batterson, uh, one of the authors that I, I love to read sometimes. He said it this way, and I've said this before in another sermon, but I, it bears repeating. Most Christians are already educated way beyond the level of their obedience. We don't need to know more. We need to do more. You don't need to know more information. You need to do something with the information that you already know you should do something with. When we activate love, here's write this down. When we activate love, we open the door for relationships that create an opportunity for us to minister to people. So when you, when you activate love for somebody else, you're opening the door for a relationship that is actually creating an opportunity to do ministry. Now, as we think about Nehemiah's blueprint for a, a better life, I, I want to tell you that we all are sick of 2020. <laughs> We're all over it. And it just made matters worse when my college football team lost yesterday. I was just like, of course they did. <laughs> Opening day of league, they lose. It's 2020. It's a mess. I'm going to hit the reset button. But, but here, here's, here's what we need to understand, Okay that the best way that we're going to change our nation and change the narrative of the story that we're knowing as 2020 is we just start and take it down microscopically and don't look at the whole thing as a whole, but, but to look at it in bite-sized pieces. And let's, let's think about where you work right now. Let, let, let's think about where you go to school right now. Let, let's think about the street that you live on right now. Let's focus on that because you may not be able to change our nation, but you can certainly make a difference and change your street that you live on. But in our culture, this sounds weird, but a lot of us don't even know the names of our, our neighbors because of the way we're, we're very private about everything that we're doing. And by the way, we're the only culture in this world that is like this. If you go travel the world, no other, everybody else in, on this planet knows their neighbors except Americans. So there's another sermon in that. But I want to give you a list of questions. So we're not looking, we're not painting broad, like how can we change the world? No, no. Let, let's think in terms right now for this message. Let's think about how we can change where we live, the street that we live on, the apartment complex that we live at. Let, let's think about in terms of that right now. And I'm going to ask you some questions just to get your thoughts rolling right now and to be thinking so that you can actually leave this place and do something about what you've heard, not Pastor Jim talk about, but what you've heard the word talk about. So write this down. Number one, do you know your neighbor's names? I know it sounds so weird, but, but do you actually know the name of the person that lives next door to you? Do you know, do you know their name? Better than that, do you know a phone number, how you could get a hold of that person if, if you needed to get a hold of them? Because some of you know their name, but you don't have their phone number. I, I would encourage you, get to know them. And I know it might be strange, like, hey, you know, if I need something or if you need something, can I just get your, your phone number? I've done this to every neighbor I, where, I've, where I've ever lived, and, and people give it to me. 
and maybe I have a trusting face and I don't look like a stalker. I don't know, but they give it to me and, and I, I use it. I use it when I need it. And, and in Vegas, especially because I, I really, everyone's really private there. Thousand Oaks is a little bit better than, than Vegas. In Vegas, everyone has their guard up and, and there's probably a good reason. Uh, but I would take everybody's names in my neighborhood, and, and I had a little bulletin board because I'm terrible at remembering people's names, and I would write their name down and put their phone number and put it in the bulletin board. So if I ever needed you know, to remind myself, oh, you know, that, that, that's Nancy, or oh, that's Jim, and, and these are my neighbors. So, so I would look at that. If I'd see them working outside, I'd go into the bulletin board and go, oh, there, there's your name. Hey, and I would talk to them. But one day, this is where it pays off. One day I was on my way to church. The family had already left. They were ahead of me and I was running late as I normally am. And, and so I'm like rushing. I'm getting all this stuff. I get all my stuff in my car. I'm putting the car in reverse it back out of the driveway to head down the road. And as I'm backing up, I like put my brakes on because two cop cars come rolling down the street. Sirens aren't even on. Just, just like stop in front of my neighbor's house. The police jump out of the car, guns drawn, running towards my neighbor's front door. I'm like, it's about ready to go down in my neighborhood right now. What is going to happen? So I'm like trying to get out of their way and pull over. And I'm like praying because I know that neighbor. I know she had an adult son there. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's going on. But Father, I pray for them right now. Help them. God, I intercede for them. And, and I'm watching this thing develop. And I'm there five minutes. I know the church is waiting for me. That The pastor there is stalling for me. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I got to leave. So I left. But when I come back, I, I call the gal as soon as I get home and I, and I get her number and I call her. And I said, hey, I, I saw something on my way to church, and, and I just got to ask, are you guys okay, and can I help in any way? And immediately, just she starts weeping. And apparently, her son had an issue, got violent. She had to call the police. The police came out, arrested him, and it was a mess. But I got to pray with her. I got to be there for her, encourage her. And you know, after that day, everything changed with our relationship. Like it, it was, she was more engaging. She wanted to talk about faith. She wanted to talk about Jesus. All because I, I knew her name and had her phone number. If I didn't, I wouldn't have known. I could have just blindly knocked on her door, I guess. But it starts with just knowing your neighbor's names and phone numbers. I think it's awesome. Uh, here's another question to ask yourself. Who in your neighborhood maybe just had a baby? They just had a baby and you're like, maybe I can do something to help them out. If you know them, you can maybe have a, that relational equity where you might offer to make them meals as they're kind of getting on their feet and, and dealing with the new baby. Uh, maybe if you don't know them, you can go buy them a little gift and, and just you know, honor them and, and uh, congratulate them on the new baby. Uh, who on your street has a, has a pet? Because we all know that we've seen more dogs being walked in the last six months than in our lifetime. Come on, somebody. You know, just like, I, I didn't even know I had this many neighbors with dogs, but there they are. Everyone's getting out of the house or, you know, having cabin fever. They're getting out. So, the, you know, like somebody has a dog. Hey, they probably need somebody to watch their dog, take care of their dog, maybe take their dogs on walks when they can't. So who has a pet? Just offer yourself. Maybe you can help out. Who has kids? If, if you have teenage girls, maybe they can help nanny the kids or, or maybe you can just celebrate the kids on your street and, and have like a family get together like we're doing our outdoor movie night. Maybe you could do something like that on your street. I'm so bummed. I know some of you are new to our community, so you don't know kind of how we operate or, or like kind of like what kind of people we are. But I, I'm a kind of guy that I believe that God redeems all things, even things that were meant for evil, even things that were meant for bad. God can actually get involved and redeem it. And I believe 
that God can even redeem Halloween. And so I started this initiative at our old church like 10 years ago. I said, I don't want to be that Christian that when the little kids come up to my door, I turn my lights off and I say, no, I'm not participating in Satan's holiday. Bah. We're not. We're protesting. You know what I did? I brought a bounce house in my front yard. I didn't get the little bite-sized mini bars. I got the king-sized snicker bars. I mean, I said, I want my house to have a reputation. I had coffee for the adults and hot chocolate. I mean, I wanted to make our house like the house that the kids would be talking about six months from now. In the middle of summertime, they'd be like, I can't wait for Halloween because we get to go to the Cruz's house. That's what we want. And I go, if we become a church like that, Kids will actually want to know more about our faith and want to know more about who we are as people. We don't have to make it all crazy and evil. We can just celebrate the kids on our street and make our house fun. Who has kids? Uh, senior concerns. And we mobilized a task force. We collected supplies so that supplies could be given to the seniors in Thousand Oaks. And it was a great relationship. And we actually took it to the next level. And a lot of our people were, um, were background checked and were approved to be drivers for the Meals on Wheels. And so we've been delivering meals. So Tara and I even personally, we got involved and we're like, we want to start delivering meals uh, for seniors. And so on Fridays, now we take these meals uh, from one of our restaurants here, I think the Country Harvest Restaurant, and we deliver these meals to about 13 different houses in our neighborhood and just love them, just say, hey, meals on wheels. And, and so we were at Costco the other day and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get an extra package of toilet paper and, and we'll give like you know, a package to each of our seniors. And so we did that. And so we delivered the food and said, hey, I got a bonus gift for you today. And I gave him the package of toilet paper. It was like I gave him $100. It was amazing. I, I even got a thank you card last week from one of the guys. He's like, what's your name again? I go, Jim. And he goes, Jim. And he goes, here, this is for you. And he goes, thank you for my toilet paper. I was like, this is awesome. But, but he, we think like, wow, I got to do big things. And wow, I want to do big things for you, God. God says, then start with the small things. Be mindful of the seniors in, in your, on your street where you live that are a little bit freaked out to go to the grocery store right now. You, you could be a blessing. Even if they don't tell you they need toilet paper. Guess what? They need toilet paper. We all do. Who is around your age or is in a similar life stage where you might have a lot in common? Just invite them over. Maybe you can invite them over in the backyard. Hey, we're going to, you know, have drinks. We're just going to, you know, physical distance. But we just want to get to know you. We see that we have a lot in common. Just want to hang out with you. Be hospitable. Are there single moms or dads around you? That's another great question. I have a lot of friends that are single moms or dad, or, and dads, and it's tough. Sometimes it's tough navigating all the moving parts and just offer to help. Be there. What skills and passions do you have that you might be able to offer, like maybe your coach? And you could help maybe one of the, the kids on your street with their baseball game or their, their uh, basketball game. Maybe it's music. Maybe you can do some tutoring, uh, cooking. Maybe when you're cooking a meal, you can cook a little extra and give it to that widow that lives three doors down from you and say, hey, I just made a little extra. I thought you might enjoy it. Uh, just maybe you're a handyman. 
Maybe you can help with projects, mow somebody's lawn, uh, fix a car that you see somebody helping out on. These are just little, I'm just, I'm throwing ideas and questions so that you can just be mindful of it. Do you know of birthdays, anniversaries, or special events happening for a neighbor? You know, the big thing in coronavirus are these yard signs. Have you seen them? Like, happy birthday, Jim. And, and it's like this big old letters that people put out. There's a business for that, by the way. What, what if you found out a neighbor's birthday and you're like, I'm going to surprise them. I'm going to call that service and we're going we're gonna to go big for their birthday. That'd be so cool. Who's moved in recently that can maybe use some help or just somebody welcoming them to the neighborhood, giving them a little cheat sheet, the best places to shop and go. Is there a for sale sign up? Maybe you can help somebody plan their move and help you know, offer to box stuff up. Does anyone have any yard sale uh, or a garage sale? Maybe you could just, you know, it's always a, a cool thing to be able to just go over there and just, just fellowship and, and, you know, offer to buy some of their little gadgets and just, just have conversations. People are more outside right now than they've ever been before. So take advantage of it. Go and get, start conversations. And, and here's an important one. Is there anyone in your neighborhood who doesn't fit the same profile as the majority of other neighbors? Maybe they're feeling in, in this weird time that we're going through where there's a lot of divide, maybe you could just go out of your way to be a friend to somebody, to, to show them acceptance and love. Uh, maybe it's a, a different race, religion, economic status, sexual orientation, disability, social status, and just, just go out of your way. How can you value them? How can you show them that they are loved? What creative ideas could we really do to make a difference right where we live. I heard a story a few months ago from my friend Rob Vanderman, his wife, Diane. And early on in COVID, they had an idea that they got together with another Christian on their street and they started praying together outside their house at seven o'clock every night. And so they've been doing this since I believe April. And there's been so much powerful stuff that came out of this. And so I told my guy, I've got to just get you guys on video and, and just, just archive this because this is so cool. We could inspire neighborhood prayer circles all over the nation, and, and we could say it all started on the street on Heritage Trails in Camarillo. So to tell his story and, and their story, I'm going to have Rob and Diane Vandermay tell it through video. Go ahead and watch this. Hello, uh, my name is Rob Vandermay and my beautiful wife, Diane. Hello. And uh, we are here to talk about our neighborhood prayer group. Uh, it started back in the end of March, early April. Everything had been shut down for a couple weeks. And on national news, they came out with something. It kind of started with people coming out at about seven o'clock across the nation to, to kind of support first responders, bang pots and pans, make a lot of noise. Some groups were turning it into kind of a prayer time in the neighborhood. And uh, all of the neighbors decided we should start getting together and do the same kind of thing. Uh, one of our neighbors, uh, uh, Pat Rockney, said, why don't we get together as a neighborhood and, and pray as a group? And I think at first it was a little bit intimidating for all of us and like praying in public with our neighbors and we don't even know them all that well. But we said, heck, let's go for it. Let's give it a shot. So we started meeting out here in the front yard uh, at seven o'clock every night and we would say the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, the, the disciples asked, how should we pray? And Jesus said in uh, Matthew and in Luke, it's recorded. He said, well, just pray like this and taught us how to, to pray and pray to Jesus and uh, just say, be thankful and talk about how awesome our father is. And then nothing but good has come out of it in the sense that we have been able to connect, been able to 
um, experience life together. We all need a place to vent and just go and hang out and have, we pray together and like we laugh and talk and joke around. And like our neighbors, like they're all wonderful. And it's just it's so, it's so peaceful and like, feel like you're making a difference when you go there and talk to your neighbors, you know? And we've gotten to know our neighbors through this experience like never before. And we can count on our neighbors. And I could go on and on about the kind of things that, that we've helped each other with. Like when we had the toilet paper shortage, somebody went to Costco for me and got me a big pack of toilet paper. And they've offered them to help and whenever I need something. And I was just telling our friends how beautiful it is if I'm baking and I don't have any baking soda or I'm making tuna and I need a couple stalks of celery, I send a text and somebody's got it and I've got it in five minutes. Uh, so um, it's been a real blessing to really get connected that way so we can help each other. It's a no pressure if you just want to come and say hi to people so you don't feel so isolated because it's easy to feel isolated. It's, it's a win-win. You, you're, you won't regret getting to know your neighbors. You won't regret finding out how, how others are doing. It's that really you're not alone yeah, through this experience. Actually, it made a difference for me. Um, I've been kind of depressed even just lately, and I don't always come out every night. And one time recently, I didn't come out, and after prayer time, I had a couple of three ladies at the door. <laughs> saying, just want to check on you, and are you doing okay? We've gotten to know each other in more personal ways than we have in, in decades of being neighbors, uh, and you know, just each other's sense of humor and being able to joke with each other uh, and share some backgrounds. Uh, I have a kind of unique background in, in terms of going through uh, shelter homes, foster homes, and the way I was raised, and find out that my neighbor a couple doors down had you know, kind of similar situations with his family, uh, his background, and, and just being able to share stuff like that and share how God has worked through friends, through family, through church, through songs. We had our neighbor's uh, grandkids were going through a time of some illness and not sure what was going on. And that, that can be a really scary time when you're looking at kids maybe getting sick. And just a lot of prayer from the neighbors going into that. So we're, we're now praying for each other, both when we get together and, and when we're not together. So it just has really united us. And we really just hope this inspires other people to do the same thing. It, it's just been a fantastic experience. It, it was a little bit, you know, nervous time at first, but we have a great time now. We'll, we'll share prayer needs with each other. One night a week, we'll get together and have kind of a potluck. Uh, we get together and we, we now we play games. We play pickleball out in the middle of the street. Uh, and, and we've just gotten to know each other and gotten together so much more uh, during this time. And it's been a fantastic experience. I just love that. Uh, it doesn't have to be a prayer circle. I, I want to brag on Corey and Melissa Murphy who at the early part of COVID, they took these cards around to every neighbor on their street and they said, hey, if we can help you out at all, if we could pray for you, uh, just please call us. And they had one of the neighbors respond and said, I appreciate you doing that. Um, I was recently diagnosed with brain cancer. And so this, this really means a lot to me. And since then, they've been able to connect with this guy and get closer with him and be there for him in this real difficult season that he's going through personally. There, there may be a project on your street and it may even be an eyesore. You're like, somebody needs to take care of that. What if we on our serve day got a team of people and we went to your street, like there's like 12 atmosphere people and we just like 
came on your street and said, we're going to help that person with that yard work or that, that roof issue or whatever it is. How cool would that be for you to be able to say, yeah, our, our church came together. We wanted to help this person out and take care of this need that they had. And I know the pushback some of you are thinking right now, like, what do I have to offer my neighbor? You have Jesus. Most of you do at least. Which is the greatest gift you could ever bring to another human being. He is the one who rebuilds. He is the one who restores. And when you bring yourself to love your neighbor, you're bringing Jesus to them. You're giving yourself a platform to tell them about your story, how Jesus has helped you live a better story, and how Jesus wants them to live a better story. So don't be intimidated. Don't overthink it. Love your neighbor and you fulfill the whole law. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.